we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks or so on a Thursday and a, on a Sunday, which is unusual. We're looking at the preparations for the first advent. And if you can remember, we've talked, uh, we looked at how early God started in his preparations for the first Christmas. Uh, it was before the foundation of the world that he started his preparation. And in time, it was at the very beginning of time when he spoke to uh, the people in the garden, uh, when he spoke to Abraham, you know, when he go through the whole of the Old Testament, we can see that God was excited about Christmas. You know, if, if ever you see somebody getting excited about Christmas, well, let me tell you this, God is more excited about Christmas than any of us. Because, as we've seen, uh, He showed us what type of person would come, the seed. It would be the seed of the woman uh, that would come, and it came through a certain lineage that we looked at uh, in, in quite a lot of detail at the beginning. And then we looked at the time and the place that God had chosen to bring His Son into the world. And we saw that it had to be a specific time. A little slot uh, in, the, in the length of time that the world has been here. It couldn't have been uh, after that. It couldn't have been before that. Then we saw that it was Bethlehem of Judea that He had to come to. That was His decree. And we saw how God moved people on the, on the earth to get His Son to be born in Bethlehem. I'm trying to think what the other ones were. We've got the seed, the time, the name. What are we going to call the baby? You know, um, what's that? Oh, the manger. That was different. <laughs> that was a men's meeting. <laughs> you get them all mixed up. Uh, the name, that there was the seed, the time and place, the name, and then last Thursday night we looked at the onlookers. People who God had told. The wise men, John the Baptist, Simeon, Anna, all these different people. God told them about the birth of his son. And we come to the last one. And I've got to be honest, I've really enjoyed looking again into the preparations that God made for, his first Christ, for the first Christmas. One of the phrases that we've all used when we look at our children is I wonder what he's going to be when he grows up I wonder what he's going to do when he grows up you know and that's a concern for most parents if not all parents we all want our children to succeed we all want them to be happy we all want them to do what they have set their hearts upon you know, and um, as parents, we we help and we sort of encourage and do all these things to make sure that our children uh, achieve the goals and the purposes that they set out to do. What will he achieve? How will he affect the world? And how will the world affect him? Your purpose is a massive thing to us as human beings. You know, I know that in the postmodern age that we belong to, that we are unfortunate enough to belong to, society has sort of ditched purpose. You know what? It's a society that is driven by what is so called evolution. 
people maintain that if, they, if we're here by accident, then there can be no purpose for us being here. We belong to a society that has lost its purpose and has no purpose. Christopher Hitchens maintained throughout his aggressively atheistic life that there can be no purpose to a life that happened by accident. But experience, yours and mine, would tell us that without purpose and meaning, then there is nothing at all. There is nothing at all. There is no point at all to our lives if we don't live according to purpose. And even though the, the atheists and the postmodernists would tell us that, we, that there is no purpose, we as individuals, we thrive on purpose and we prepare for things in the future. We prepare our kids for purpose. You know, we make sure that they get ahead in school or on the sports field or in the musical arena. You know, my, my, grand, my daughter-in-law, she has made sure that her children know how to play at least three instruments. They have two languages. You know, and it's all down to her drive to make sure that her children are able to fulfill their purpose. You know, you look at Janice and all her children went on to, to play different instruments when they came here. There was the violin, there was the saxophone. You know, and there was, an, there was a possibility of learning the drums. And you know, and immediately Janice realized that there was, the drum lessons were free. Her children were here to have drum lessons. You know, and they become proficient. In, in, you know, and it's another string to their bow. Well, if they'd had a decent teacher, they would have been. But we thrive on purpose. You know, and I can remember my father accompanying me to my careers evenings uh, in both exiles and, and talking to me about what am I going to do and you know I was destined to work for the British Railway in, or somewhere up in England I can't remember where now but I ended up in both textiles down by you you know and who should be with me when I had my last interview was my father he was making sure that I grasped every opportunity uh, that was possible to me in order to achieve my purpose. But what about this little lad as he lies in this manger? What was his purpose? What had he been prepared for? And what had been prepared for him? You know, and an awful lot of what we've dealt with over these last four, three or four uh, services have been things that we've been able to relate to. The time and place. We can relate to that because that's how we do things. You know, we have a, a time slot for, to bring our children into birth. You know, of course, it's force on us by nature, but we know the time. We know the place. We are conversant with parents choosing their names. But purpose, purpose is something that is different with Jesus and with us. You see, Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. The sole design of the crib was the cross. Now, none of us are born to die. We are born and we will die. But none of us are born to die. You know, none of us brought forth our children thinking we'll bring them forth 
today. So it's alien to us. The purpose of this little baby in the, in the manger is alien to us because he was born to die. You know what I suppose on that, the first service that we had when we saw God promising a redeemer, he said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He was born to suffer. He was born to pay the debt. You know, an extreme conflict was the chosen destiny of this little boy in a manger. You know, it takes the edge of birth a little bit for us. You know, Isaiah says something completely different, it seems. Speaking of the Messiah, he wrote, and Jesus himself repeated it, and it's been uh, repeated here this morning, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And you think to yourself, that's better. That's a better purpose for somebody. Better than dying. You know, we can relate to the feel-good factor of in such a purpose for his life. He's come to do us good. He's come to alleviate our trials and our tribulations. He's come to get us on our feet again. He's come to address our weaknesses and sort out our problems. Isn't that much better to think of that purpose? You know, and Jesus himself reiterates the positive view of his purpose. But is it enough that God came to do us good? Is it enough that God came to dry our tears? Is it enough that God came to satisfy our bellies? Is that enough? God, have you done enough? If it's those things that you came to do, is health and strength, enough money in our pockets, full stomachs, the sum total of God's provision for His creatures, is that enough for this little babe to come and achieve in His life? And the answer plainly is no that isn't enough you know and as important as all those those issues are you know and I'm sure you know as he he did confront our deficiencies we look at the miracles you know he came to overcome all the limitations that you and I face you know those seven signs in in the book of John were designed to show that Christ is Lord over everything even death but is it enough? Is that enough? That Jesus can come and do great and wonderful things, wondrous miracles. Is that enough? Well, the answer, God has always done that. He did that through Moses. Amazing miracles were done through Moses. We've seen in this church that he did it through Elijah. Seven amazing miracles Elijah did. Elisha comes along and does double that. He does 14 amazing miracles. He did one even when he was dead. That's how good Elisha was. 
You and men with the ability under God to solve problems that man so often faces. But this was not the reason why God became flesh and dwelt among us. The sole design of the crib was most definitely the cross. You know, Jesus says this himself in John chapter 12. This is what he says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then he stops. And then he looks up. And then he starts to say, But for this purpose, I came to this hour. You can't save me from this hour. This is the reason why I've come in the first place. This is the reason why I lay in a manger. This is the reason why I spoke in the temple. This is the reason why I walked Galilee and Jerusalem. This is the reason why I did miracles. This is the reason why I've come. You know, Yeshua does take the edge of childbirth when you are conscious of the purpose of such a child. You know, just imagine Mary's heart, so excited. The wise men had been. The angels had been. And it was so wonderful. It was exciting. It was Christmas. And then Simon came. Or Simeon. Can you imagine when she heard his words? It was different. Simon blessed them. And said to Mary his mother. Behold this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes. A sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's not so exciting. That's not so Christmassy. You like to keep that side of it out of Christmas. But what is it that Simon had seen as he looked into the eyes of the child, as he looked into the eyes of God? Well, what did he see? He saw God's means of salvation. And he knew that this was to be the destiny of this little child. And it was going to be so painful for this mother to look on. Because he saw in the crib an outline of the cross. You see, salvation, Simeon knew, always, always, always entailed blood. There is no salvation without blood. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. So when Simeon looked into those eyes and he saw the salvation of God, he knew that blood would be shed. And that's why he turned to Mary and said, a sword will pierce through your soul also. You know, and we see that when Jesus hangs upon the cross and here is his mother, his human mother. His own flesh and blood watching on as this sword rips apart the heart of the mother. As she sees her son becoming our salvation. A sword shall pass through your heart as well. Because he saw in the crib the outline of the cross. You know, And it was no surprise to anyone because the angel had already said it. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name 
Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And immediately they go back to the Old Testament and they look at how sins are saved. And it was through the shedding of blood. It was through the slaying of animals. The sacrifice that took place every day in the temple was a pointer to what this little child would go through in order to save his people from their sins. You know, the angels saw in the, cro- in the crib an outline of the cross. <coughs> yes, but what about Isaiah? Did he get it wrong when he talked about the Messiah and the good works that Christ did? Well, of course, he didn't. But he did tell us what he writes in Isaiah 61. It was a part of Messiah's mandate. But you see, earlier than Isaiah 61 is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And it's so plain to see that the radical event of Calvary was the ultimate goal. The ultimate purpose of God becoming flesh. You know, if anyone, if anyone saw the shape of a cross in that knotty crib, Isaiah did. You see, in in Isaiah 7 and 9, he had proclaimed the birth of the Son. The virgin shall shall bring forth a son, and he shall call his name. All those wonderful names. But then that same Isaiah, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, then he goes on and explains Calvary. Because in the in the crib there was the outline of the cross. You know, some ministers find it difficult to find something to talk about over Christmas. Simon Mayo used to have a slot on his show called Homework. He's not there now, he's been he's been replaced by a young lady. As I used to, we used to sit and drive in the car and listen to Simon Mayo giving out the homework on Radio 2. And you had to sort of phone in and say, I've got a problem. Can you solve it? And then he used to send it out to the country. Can you solve this problem? Well, a pastor phoned in and said, I've got a problem, Simon. I've been a pastor for eight years and I've exhausted the story of Christmas. Could someone give me another angle to use in my sermon for Christmas? Eight years! Eight years! I've been here for 28 years. Now I know I've repeated myself a few times. (laughs) But I can tell you this. There's something new about Christmas every time. And whoever preaches here, and we've had quite a number of Advent sermons over the last three weeks or so, There's always something new in Christmas. And if you are stuck for something new to preach for Christmas, then let me tell you, preach the cross. Preach the cross. You cannot exhaust the Christmas story when you know the purpose for Christ's incarnation because you will always be drawn to the cross. And John points out in his first epistle, and you know that he was manifested, he was brought into being, he was revealed in order to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. That's the purpose. 
of the crib. It is most definitely the cross. And if you ever dry up, if ever you come to a time when you're eight years, that poor soul will get nowhere if he can't get through eight years of ministry for Christmas. You know, dealing with the purpose and the consequence of the cross is the ongoing privilege of anyone who sets foot in the pulpit of God's house. You know, and it's been our delight to pursue such an exalted theme in so many years gone by, and our pleasure will continue through into 2020. And you know, at the end of 2020, we'll be back to Christmas again, and someone will come up to our pulpit and say something we've never thought of before. Why? Because this church preaches the cross. That's why, if you forget the cross, then you will run out of everything as far as Christmas is concerned. But if you've got the cross before your face, then Christmas will always be as exciting as it ever has been. It's our delight, it's our pleasure to continue preaching the cross at Christmas for as long as we live. But just listen as we come to a close. Just listen to the pillow talk of Mary and Joseph. They lie in there. What do you think he'll be when he grows up? What do you think is going to happen? How is he going to affect the world? How is the world going to affect him? And there's a number of answers that we can find in the scripture. 1 Timothy 3 and 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest. God was revealed in the flesh. So the first thing we can think of as to the purpose of this little boy and what he would achieve he's come to show us who the father is. We're in the dark. You know in our course on, um, on the Godhead uh, in starting from scratch I, I say that this is an impossible task. We're going to try and find out who God is and it's an impossible task because he dwells in unapproachable light. He's invisible. He's, he's above us. You know, you know, when you think to yourself, how on earth are we going to ever find out what God is like? You know, and there is no way as human beings that we could ever get a grip or an angle on God. So what did he do? He came in the flesh and showed us exactly who he is. So the only way that we can know God is by looking at Jesus. And that's why the Jews have no understanding of God whatsoever because God is only seen in Jesus. And if you don't accept Jesus, you'll never understand God. You'll never know him. You'll never understand who he is or what he is. But in Christ... He becomes real to us. He becomes tangible to us. He becomes normal to us. We can look at Him and study Him and understand Him. That's one of the ways that He has affected the world. In, one jo- in John chapter 2, the beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana and manifested His glory. He revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. And we can see, as I've said already, that Jesus has come to alleviate us of all our limitations. We've got so many limitations. Time, space, health, nature, death. They're all stronger than us. But what did he do? Time meant nothing to him. Nature 
He could still the waters with a word. Blindness, which is a misfortune that none of us can do anything at all about. No, we got a young man come in here on a Friday morning and three or four years ago he was just a normal person walking in the street and then all of a sudden he's gone blind. Nobody can do anything about it, but God can. God has opened the eyes of the blind. That was one of the things that he's come to do. And of course, death. How death destroys all our aspirations. You know, and rips apart uh, all our relationships. It's awful. It's painful. It's grief stricken. You know, when he was here on Thursday to see a family that had been, that had a loved one taken from them, it's, it's awful. And yet we know that death for the Christian, death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its power. Why? Because Christ has come and overcome the limitation. You want to not say that losing a loved one is any easier. But that loved one has gone straight to be with the Lord. He's come to reveal His glory as He overcomes our limitations. You know in 1 John chapter 3 and we know that He was revealed to take away our sins and in Him there is no sin. You know and this is the cross. This is where He dealt with every sin that it is possible to deal with. And you and I are free from sin now. It has no longer are we under its dominion or its power. And we will no longer have any say in our eternal destiny. Because Christ has dealt with our sins once and for all. And then in 1 John 3 and verse 8, uh, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed, that He might destroy the works of the devil. The enemy that we have, the enemy of our souls, the enemy that brought Adam down to his knees, and continues to do that to so many people in the world today. The enemy that has this world in its grip has been dealt with for you and for me. Because Christ made a public display of him on the cross. Dealt a death blow to him. And no longer is he anything that can take us away from the hand of God. What shall separate us from the love of God? What shall take us out of his hands? What can pluck us away from him? Nothing. No, not even Satan. Because he has, his works have been destroyed. And then last of all. In this, the love of God was revealed. That God has sent His only begotten Son into this world that we might live through Him. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the Good Shepherd. But in that little section, He talks about the thief. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. And you know, if he stopped there, it would be an awful scenario. But he went on. But I have come. That you may have life and have it more and abundantly. You know, and if you want to live. People say, you want to live? Well, sticking yourself in that church for. Live! Let me tell you this. I'm more alive than anyone out there that hasn't got Jesus in their heart. Because Jesus Christ has come that you and I might live through him. So these are the purposes of this little lad 
The cross, the shadow of the cross, or the imprint of the cross, is seen so firmly in that knotty wood of the, the, the trough that Jesus lay in. But all these other things... Can you imagine Mary and Joseph as they're thinking about Jesus and thinking about all those things, getting so excited. Oh, I can't go to sleep, can you? I can't go to sleep because, because he's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. He's going to solve everything. And for those that put their trust in him, our eternal destiny is sure. God spent all that time preparing for Advent. And he's achieved Everything that he set out. You know, there's a little few in Astrid this morning who have embraced that. But it's a pitiful little few. Do you know what? If, I were, if we were in a congregation of 5,000 here today, it would still be a pitiful few. Because there are still more people out there that have yet to come to this understanding. Oh, that you and I would be used of God from this time forward in such a powerful way that when we meet again in this fashion next year we'll be able to say that there are so many other people for whom the lad, the boy in the manger has become the living Christ in their lives. That's my prayer and that's my desire for this fellowship and for fellowships like it.